Welcome to the Family Biz Show. According to Family Enterprise USA, family businesses in the U.S. account for over 64% of GDP and employ 62% of the workforce. In other words, they are the backbone of our economy. But success doesn't come easy. Only 13% are operating in the third generation. The Family Biz Show is here to help. Listen in to hear stories from other family businesses and industry thought leaders so that you and your family not only survive, but thrive. Welcome, everybody, to the Family Biz Show. I am your host, Michael Columbus from Family Wealth and Legacy in Rochester, New York. And we've got a heck of a show for you today. Rachel Giannis is joining us, and she is an incredible leadership training, leadership development coach. Um, used to do a lot of work with the, uh, the armed forces, the military. I'm going to let her talk about her journey and has been working with family businesses the last bunch of years. And when I heard her speak about um, the science of leadership, I was like, Rachel, we've got to talk. I've got to have you on the show because what you're talking about, I've been talking about these, this exact topic in a different way in the language that you use around this and the um, ability to apply it and teach some applicable things that we're going to be talking about today is awesome. So hang on to your hats, folks. We're going to be talking about how to flourish as a family business. Rachel, welcome to the show. Michael, thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm really excited to be here today, and I hope to add value to your listeners starting today. <laughs> Perfect. I, I'm positive that you will just in the time that we spent together. Do you mind walk people through where did you get your training? Where did where does this, you know, the, the science of leadership, where, you know, you, you that, this isn't like brand new to you. You've been doing this for years. Where's this coming from and how have you applied it in the past? So I have my master's in marriage family therapy, actually. Okay. And I began as a family therapist, working with families, handling conflict, handling difficulties. And through a series of fortunate events, I met my now husband in San Diego, and we moved out to Hawaii where I started working with the US Armed Forces. And I found myself moving from the family room into the war room, if you will. And, okay. and working with leadership teams. And what I found was the same principles that, require, that are required for families to flourish, to be connected, to be motivated, to enjoy one another's company, to have trust, are the same principles required in the war room. And since I began working for organizations like Vistage through my company, ALC, Advanced Leadership Concepts, I found that the same principles apply in the boardroom as well. And so when I met you, Michael, and, and I learned more about what Family Wealth Legacy is doing, um, I was really excited because talk about full circle. My background is in marriage family therapy. You speak to family businesses. And that's my story in a nutshell. Awesome. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Wait, let, before we dive into the meat of what we're talking about today, 
you may, I, I just get this picture, armed forces, you get in this room, you know, they do not want to be talking about, you know, self-determination theory and autonomy and competence and trust, but yet that's at the core of all this stuff. Can you just kind of paint a picture of what it's like when you go into a room for a first time, first time with a, you know, a team that's in the armed forces and just kind of paint that picture for us a little bit. Oh yeah. Well now you have that movie playing over in my head on repeat. It was definitely interesting. You know, I'd, I'd walk into the room. I'd be the only woman in the room. Um, I'd be the junior by, you know, at least a decade and I'd walk in and start talking about things like flourishing and psychological safety and communication and trust. And that is where I really honed my skills when it came to application. Right. How do we execute that? Because that's what all the military leaders wanted to know. They understood um, most leaders at the senior level understand that in order for an organization to thrive, there needs to be trust. There needs to be a team of motivated people. And so their big question to me was, Rachel, this is really interesting. But what do I do with it? Got it. Okay. And that's where the conversation really shifted to implementation. And so that's kind of um, where I honed in my skills and not only talking about self-determination theory, which I know we'll be getting into today, but how can we communicate on a daily basis on the phone, in an email, texting with a spouse or a kid, or on a Zoom call with a family member traveling to Asia for an important business meeting in a way that builds trust, rapport and motivation within the culture of the, the company and the family itself. Cause like you said, you know, you want Thanksgiving dinners to be pleasant. <laughs> right. All right. So we're going to dive into this. And again, the, the focus is how to flourish as a family business, because we're going to give you some skills at, throughout this, you know, conversation that Rachel and I are having so that you can, you know, utilize this and make it worthwhile today. Mm -hmm. Um, what you introduced me to is that there was three basic psychological needs and they, they rang for me because I, you know, immediately went and thought about Maslow's, which is a little different, but it's, but you broke them down. I think even when we're talking about teams and leadership and the family, it's really these three to make the team flourish, the family or, you know, the, uh, in the war room, you know, to get them working together walk us through those and kind of set that up for us a little bit yeah i'd be happy to so you know everybody knows that the body has basic needs to survive we need water we need food we need rest we need shelter especially in rochester in the winter am i right yeah. <laughs> but not enough people know that there are basic psychological needs needs of the mind that when satisfied people are able to flourish when they're thwarted when they're not satisfied we struggle to thrive and we struggle to find internal motivation. Now, those three needs, as you said, are autonomy, which is essentially a sense of having volition over our lives, feeling like we're in charge, we're our own decision maker. The second is our need for competence, to feel like we are able to um, face optimal challenge in our work. And the third is our need for relatedness, which is all about connection, which is all about feeling cared for and valued as a human being. 
Okay. And so what, what the founders of self-determination theory, Dr. Edward DC and Richard Ryan, who are actually based in Rochester, New York, by the way, found is that, you know, those three needs are something that every leader needs to know. Every parent needs to know. If you want to make sure you're cultivating an environment at work and at home where people can thrive. So I'm going to dive into autonomy real quick. And so one of the conversations that we had when, with our small group when we were working through this was kids mm -hmm. need to be autonomous. They need to start, especially, you know, somewhere, and I know there's probably an age, every kid's different, but somewhere between three, which was my, you know, my stepdaughter, she needed to make every decision on her own from the time she was three, all the way, you know, and some kids, they're, they're happy and it's like 13 before they start to say, oh yeah, I guess I don't need to, you know, I need to make some of my own decisions. And what, what rang true when you started talking about that for me was the example of one of the members in the group who said that their son was acting out mm -hmm. and going through some difficult times and kind of taking control of his life. And though, even though mom and dad didn't like the decisions the kid was making when they sat the kid down because they had created a place where it was safe for their kid to talk and the kid trusted them. He said, I just wanted someplace where I was making my own decisions. Yeah. yeah, even though you didn't like them, this was, these were mine. And so that was interesting for me to be able to say, ah, it just fits with what you are, are, are talking about here. And I think we forget that. I, th I, I think we do, especially as business owners, especially if we are our own bosses, we forget what it feels like to be micromanaged. Have you ever been micromanaged, Michael? A hundred percent. What, um, what emotions did that trigger in you when you felt controlled by somebody else? Get me out. For me, it was like, it's, I'm, I work for myself. I've been working for myself for years. If I wasn't, I was in sales. I had a very hard time working for somebody else and being micromanaged. Yeah. Yeah. That's how most people are wired to feel like, get me out of here. I do not want to be controlled. I do not want to be micromanaged. And to, you know, to give your listeners an emotion, we tend to feel frustrated, angry, resentful. Um, we might even have contempt for the individual that is trying to control us because again, we have this basic need to feel like we have volition over our own actions, over our own choices. And so um, you and, and the leader in the room that was speaking about his son um, are the same and I am the same and your listeners are the same. And what's, what's difficult is when you're a leader, which you are, which I am, which you know your listeners are, we tend to fear giving autonomy because we're worried if we give up control something bad could happen. Am I right? Right, a hundred percent. And so that's why, you know, trust and the cultivation of trust is so important because we tend to control and to micromanage when we're worried that something bad might happen. Right, that's great. I, 
I think about this often and then it's like, how can I give more autonomy to the team? Um, you know, one of the things that I've done recently is we had our first team member, um, she's got, she's pregnant. And so maternity leave and we're such a small team. I've never had this happen in 20 years of doing this. So, you know, it's like, okay, we didn't really have a plan for it. And so I asked them, I said, if you were me, what would you want? I said, you know, and, 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 re, and, and as we make decisions about, you know, pay and bonuses and, and those kinds of things, I said, I, I need your help because I'm a business owner. And as a business owner, my initial reaction is to take control everything and to, you know, keep as much as you can as the business owner, because you're trying to, you know, top line revenue, bottom line profit. I said, just remind me that the, the first word in the name of our business is family. And so if ever I'm only thinking like a business owner and not thinking of you as one of my family members, please remind me. And that I think was helpful. We ended up coming up with a nice maternity leave, you know, package for this person that they were very thankful for. Well, that is a great example of how leaders can have a collaborative conversation where the employee, the family member that's going on maternity leave, whatever it is, feels like they're able to participate in the decision making process like their voice has value. And so what, what I'm assuming is happening within this employee of yours is she's feeling cared for, she's feeling respected. And you know, we have a huge crisis of talent retention in this country right now. And I put my money, pun intended, on the fact that you're cultivating loyalty and advocacy within her as a member of your company. And that's really powerful. And that's the potential of being autonomy supportive as a leader. Yeah. What are some other ways, you know, as you're talking about autonomy, what are some other ways that you have seen leaders cultivate that in their teams? Mm. You know, anytime I talk about autonomy, I think about the um, General Jamie Girard. At the time when I met him, he was the commanding general of 25th Infantry Division out here in Oahu. And he was really, really good at two things. Naming clear goals. This is our vision, right? This is the mountain I want you to take. And these are the guardrails. These are our left and right limits about how to take the mountain and anything in between those guardrails is free reign. Take ownership over how you execute. All I care about is that you take that mountain. I am here for you for support. I am here to be a sounding board. I'm here to offer you any information that you maybe don't have now that you believe would be valuable. And I can't wait to celebrate the win with you once you get there. That's awesome. That, right? So super powerful. And if you think about that, flip that to a business owner and say, here's the mountain, the mountain, here's the goal, here's the vision, here's what we're trying to accomplish in the next year, two, three, five, whatever the you're trying to do. Here's the budget for doing those things. And here's the, the non-negotiables, but everything else, go at it. And giving, you know, getting some thought and getting some 
feedback and helping that letting them design it same idea right same exact idea you know again it, it it applies whether the conversation is happening in the the war room the boardroom, or the family room we are all human beings even if our work is different we are you know the principles apply regardless of the okay. environment and so that's one strategy to support autonomy making sure you have very clear goals and guardrails right a second strategy that supports autonomy is listening. Mm -hmm. And it sounds so trite and so cliche to say, listening to your people helps them feel good. But there's a reason for that. There's a psychological reason for that. And then that's our need for autonomy. When we don't feel heard, we feel frustrated. When we're frustrated, our motivation is undercut. And a fascinating thing that I have found in speaking to, you know, hundreds of leaders and possibly thousands of followers, if you will, is I've learned something. We must first feel heard in order to hear. Mm, so true. <laughs> Isn't it? I mean, it's worth, yeah. it's worth repeating for your listeners. We must first feel heard in order to hear. And if you've ever been in a fight with your spouse, with a parent, with a child, with a partner, an employee, and you were not feeling heard, you have tacit knowledge of how consuming that is. It literally blocks your ability to hear their perspective, where they're coming from, their logic, their evidence, all things that you need to consider and are unable to because you're not feeling heard. Yeah. It's a basic tenet of human nature. The What just popped into my head is that D-type personality who always has to be the first one to answer and then the air is taken out of the room and nobody has anything else to say because it's already been done. And there's a real quick, you know, I learned this one through our coaching and facilitating of family businesses is when I have that leadership group in the room, rather than soliciting opinions and, and, and you know, asking a question and asking them for answers, make them write it down. Mm. That way everyone has to write it down and it's already written down so they can't say, oh, what he said or what she said. Yes. And so, and so now you take those answers and you put them up on the whiteboard or on the chalk, you know, and now you can discuss them and go in and say, oh, Rachel, that's really interesting that you said A, B, and C about that strategy. Why do you say that? What does that mean to you? And now as a leader, you facilitate that, that so much more clearly. Yeah, you know, um, most of your listeners, if not all of them, have heard of Simon Sinek's talk and book, Leaders Eat Last. Right. Well, a phrase I like to use is leaders speak last. Love. Oh, that's great. I have not heard that one. Definitely in my arsenal now. Thank you. <laughs> Absolutely. And it's really important, you know, because a, a little moment of vulnerability here. I'm, I'm, I'm a D, right? I'm a D. I'm a driver. Um, and I'm, I'm very zesty and motivated. And so the shadow side of my personality as a leader is I have a bravado, if you will, if I don't keep um, taint, I eliminate 
the opportunity for others on my team to feel like they're being heard, to have the opportunity for them to develop their own ability to come up with vision, mission, values, because I'm taking up all the space in the room. The best leaders I have found are not the loudest. They're the best at listening and they're the best at asking questions, not giving answers, which is difficult because we live in a culture that tells us leaders know the answer. Right. It's our job (laughs) to tell people what to do. And, you know, with voices like Simon Sinek and voices like Adam Grant and voices like I'm, you know, yours and mine, I think we're challenging that narrative. Leaders are listeners. Leaders are curious. And they create a space for other people to share their thoughts first. It's that it's that American. It's that rugged individualist. And so I have to be able to do it myself and do all these things right. And I can show you, I can go from the East Coast to the West Coast, no problem. And, And that's not you know, is not as productive. That's fine if it's you and your family going across the prairie and you've got all these challenges to get to, somebody better lead. And you just have to make decisions and get there. In a team, that's not going to be real productive. Very well said. That's a great analogy. I'm picturing my family traveling across the the, uh, United States down in a wagon. So thank you (laughs) for that visual, Michael. But um. You know, what came to mind for me is the last word behind you is legacy. Legacy. And leaders leave a legacy whether they're leaving, whether they're leading well or not. Right. Right. And the the question is for me, am I leaving a team of followers as a team of leaders that have learned to think for themselves? to problem solve, to innovate, to speak up, to to do all of the things that I've modeled to them because I really do believe that the best leaders create more leaders. Thousand percent. And then take that right back because we're talking about family business and family business begins in the family room, mm-hmm. right? And so, especially for dads, mm-hmm. I think that that masculine side of things, we're supposed to be right. We're supposed to lead our family. We are the patriarch. It's just kind of embedded for years, generations. And we we're really need, it's time for, for fathers to become transformational mm-hmm. and give that space for their young men and daughters to think differently and to think for themselves and to not let them see that you don't always have the answers. Um, yeah, it's, it's a Columbus trait, at least in my family, it's often wrong, but never in doubt. Mm. <laughs> so, you often know, wrong, I, but never in doubt. And I think there's a lot of leaders like that, right? And that's a problem for a family and a company. Right. And, you know, so I just, I just want to, for a moment, acknowledge your self-awareness and like poking at yourself for a moment. But I think I'm assuming all the dads listening to us right now are relating to what you just said. And, you know, I I think a lot about gender differences, um, a lot. My aunt wrote a couple New York Times bestselling books, The Female Brain and The Male Brain, Luann Brizendine. And so I've grown up understanding that we have fundamentally, you know, 
similar yet different brains. Yep. And our culture sends dads a ton of messages about what they should do as fathers. And you know, what's really powerful to me, the best families that I've, I've worked with in business, the fathers exude a kind of humble confidence mm -hmm. where they want to see their next generation step into that leadership skin for a moment and share their perspective. And the dads kind of like poke holes in their theory. Well, have you thought about this son? And well, have you considered this daughter? And what will that look like for your home life? And so they're truly um, like the Yoda, if you will, to the Luke Skywalker, helping cultivate that inner knowing so that when they leave, they're leaving a legacy of leaders in their trail. And that, that just helped me paint that picture a little better. It's that helping our children transform. It's not so much that the fathers, that that's the transformation that you're helping is a father or a mother helping your children to transform, to be ready, you know, capable and willing adults out there. Mm. And, and I will tell you, I mean, you know, I, I wish I could have done better. I was not as self-aware. I did not do the work that we're talking about. And, you know, granted, I was a good dad, but there was a whole lot of things that, man, I would go back and wish I could have just done them differently. Well, that's the power of what you're doing here with this podcast. A hundred percent. Because that means that your listeners don't have to make the same mistakes with their family, with their children that you did. Right. And, and my hope is, you know, humanity is, is evolving towards greater and greater empathy and connection. And concepts like self-determination theory is the science of how we can lead and love and live and parent more powerfully so our children our future the generations to come have the environment within which they can flourish and achieve their full human potential yeah and and so bring us back to the the boardroom the, the yeah. you know the, the business it's basically when we're working through autonomy and competence and relatedness, and we, ne we need to move on to competence, but as we, as we move through those things, basically what we're doing is we're creating that, and you, you wrote this, so this is, I'm, I'm not, not, not inventing this, but you know, can create a, the condition with, conditions within which the people on the team will motivate themselves. Yes, and what a relief for leaders. Anytime I speak to you know, Vistage, YPO, EO, you know, groups of, of leaders, they're relieved to learn that their job is not to motivate every individual on their team. Their job is to create the conditions, the environment within which each individual team member will be internally motivated. And so the first question for everyone listening right now in terms of like application is, what is the current thermometer, if you will, in the autonomy, in my company, in the boardroom, in the family room, if you will, what is the, and I know we got to move on to competence, you know, what is the thermometer reading on competence and what is the thermometer reading on relatedness? Because that'll tell you, that'll give you a plan of action and a focal point to improve. Great. All right. So we've got them. We're, we're, we're autonomy. We, we, we've done, and, and, you know, here's just, so that people understand, we could probably do five hours on autonomy. 
And, and so, so you know, don't stop learning. Rachel and I are, are just sharing some ideas and putting some things out there. And now, you know, really go back and say, where else can I figure out how I can bring autonomy to my children, to my relationship with my spouse, to my, you know, in, inside of my business and my, and my top employees. But we're, we're going to move on to competence, which is the other, uh, the second tool, the second, you know, piece that somebody needs to have that, what did, what did you say, um, psychological, it's a, the basic psychological need, it's the second basic psychological need, so that we can start to create that environment of motivation, of self-motivation. So talk about confidence. Okay, I love this topic of confidence so much. Um, a lot of it, a lot of it can be boiled down to one sentence. Here it is. We are designed to desire a certain degree of difficulty. Now, say that, say that one more time because I think it's really important. We are designed to desire a certain degree of difficulty. And when we are faced with a challenge, a task, a project at work, where the challenge, the degree of difficulty exceeds our current perceived skill level, our need for competence is thwarted. So I want all your listeners to imagine the last time they had to do something that they felt was too challenging for their current skill level. For me, it was a scuba dive recently that I did with my husband. I'm a new scuba diver. I'm still learning the fundamentals. And he took me on a highly technical dive that I just wasn't ready for yet. Um, and, and he'll tell you he learned his lesson as a leader. <laughs> Guilty. <laughs> I was so full of anxiety. I was so full of anxiety when I was trying to do that task that I just wasn't competent enough yet to excel in. The degree of difficulty was too great and I was miserable. Yep. And, you know, it's important for leaders to start thinking about, you know, what are the job responsibilities of this person in my company? And do they have the, the knowledge, the skills, the abilities that are aligned, that are proportionate to those those tasks, those difficulties. And if the answer is it's too great, well, let me tell you something. You're gonna have an anxious, stressed out, overwhelmed employee. Got it. What's the opposite of that then? Oh, great question. I, I'm gonna use the Socratic method with you now, if I, if I may, and I want your listeners to do the same. If the degree of difficulty we're facing is much lower than our current skill level, when we're not being challenged by a task, what do you think that feels like for us, Michael? I, I would think I'm bored. Bingo, um. you nailed it. Beautiful, well done, boredom. We feel bored, we um, feel apathy. We're not being challenged. We're not, um, you know, to, to, to use a phrase I really enjoy, we're not operating at the top of our credentials. Yeah. Oh, I like that. Okay. And what's interesting about, you know, both, both ways we can fall outside that desired degree of difficulty with 
anxiety and boredom is they both can lead to burnout and they can both lead to disengagement. And that is costing business owners literally trillions of dollars a year globally. Yeah, you know, it's there's a um, Jim, come on, Collins? Jim Collins, right people, right seats, right things. And you, so, so when you hear that from Jim Collins, that's one thing to hear it. But when you now line up competence with it, now it really makes sense. Do I have the right person that they, they're up to that challenge? They want to face that challenge. They have the, 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 the competence to be able to do it. And their core values align with the business, you know, to keep you going in the right direction. Now you have the right person in there. Absolutely. That's super helpful. And I hope everybody heard what I just, you know, rambled there because it was, it, it, it's, we talk about this, that Jim Collins concept all the time, but I think how to put that in there, the competence factor matters. Yeah. And that's the power of this framework. So, you know, if, if your leaders could see me right now, I would draw for them a, a visual where you have challenge on the horizontal or challenge on the vertical axis, if you will, and perceived skill on the horizontal axis. And the goal of any leader is to be aware, where do your people fall on the graph? Do they have high challenge, low skill? Do they have high skill and low challenge? Are they in that sweet spot, that degree of difficulty where they can do their best work for you? And more importantly, if I may be so bold to say, for themselves. Which goes back to the first thing, right? Because if they're not feeling autonomous, so, now, so I have to have the confidence in order to be autonomous. Yep. They're okay. very synergistic concepts. So, you know, autonomy is all about empowering your people, making sure that they feel respected. Competence is all about making sure your people, including yourself, by the way, um, right. are able to achieve that desired degree of difficulty. And when you have autonomy and competence, you've got two out of the three critical ingredients for an environment where family businesses can flourish. Talk about some ways that, let's start with leaders of the business and inside the family business. How can I ensure that I have people that in the position that they're in, they're feeling, and in your word for that, that space that's between challenge and skill is flow, right? That's where they're, yeah. where they're in their zone. They're, you know, they're Michael Jordan at, at that spot, right? Excellent memory. Some ways as, as, as leaders that we can make sure that that's happening. I love that question. The single most important thing that leaders can do to cultivate greater competence in themselves and their people is give better feedback. Mm. Feedback. And we tend to fear feedback, but I really want your listeners to picture feedback as a tree with two branches. One branch in the tree is effective criticism. This is what you did poorly or suboptimally or ineffectively, naming the specifics, and this is what you can do next time to improve the results, the outcome. So, you know, feedback really should be about feed forward, right? Because we're not going back. We're growing through it, not going through it. 
So back to the tree of feedback. One branch is effective criticism, naming the specifics of what they did that was ineffective, facts, objective, not subjective. And then the second branch in the feedback tree is effective praise. And leaders, you know, leaders need to understand there's a difference between way to go, good job, I am so impressed with how hard you're working, which is more like accolades or kudos or affirmations, if you will, which have their place in the workspace and in the family space. But when I'm saying effective praise, I'm talking about naming the specific behavior, outcome, strategy, or skill that they used that led to the positive outcome. And if your leaders are interested in learning more, Carol Dweck has done an amazing amount of research and work in this space. And when you praise well, praise pays because you're gonna promote a growth mindset in your team. And a growth mindset really is the lifeblood of a company and a family. Yep. So things like when you're, when you're, the research that you did to pull this project together was fantastic. Well done. I'm really shocked at how deeply you went into this research. It was fantastic. Exactly. Yes. And, 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 you know, that is just an extra sentence or two, right? Most leaders stop it. Good job. All you need to do is add one or two more sentences like you did to highlight the behavior. And what that does is three things. One, it demonstrates your authenticity. It says, I mean this. And if you've ever received inauthentic praise, you know that does not build trust with that person. That builds suspicion. Second thing effective praise does is it shows that you were really paying attention. Yeah. And as a leader, you know, I have to tell you, one of the greatest presents you can offer your people is the gift of your presence. Be present. Be with them. That's where connection is built. That's where rapport is built. And that's where you're able to see their strengths and what they're doing well. Because when a worker, a family member, an employee is just pouring their best selves into your company and they feel unseen, they don't feel appreciated, that can really affect their morale and their motivation in the long run. And you said it, but it, the th same thing works for our kids. Oh, big time. You know? and, 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 and so, I, and, and, I, and something just rang in my head, when the child fails at something, helping them to determine the part that they did well inside of the failure and what they learned yes. and be specific about it would be so incredibly powerful. Oh my gosh, I, I, have, I have goosebumps right now as you said that. I'm so glad you brought that up because we can offer effective praise when someone fails. When your kid brings home a, you know, a C plus, let's say, and you watch them study for days and days before that exam, and they come home and they're holding their test and, and, and they're heavy hearted and they're sad and maybe a little shy and embarrassed to show you that C minus because they know you expect an A and they wanted an A for themselves. 
when you can look at them and say something like, sweetie, I'm so proud of you because I watched you work hard. I watched you study and study and prepare for this test. And I know that this isn't the outcome you wanted, but what's more important to me than the grade is watching you work hard. Yeah. That will pay dividends beyond imagination. You know, just you couldn't even fathom what that would do. Those are the kinds of things that I say that I wish I was better at when I was parenting, you know? And, yeah. and it's okay. I, I can be transformed. You can, just because I may not have been transform, transformational then doesn't mean I can't change and be transformational now. Right. And, and I have these conversations with my kids of things that I would have liked to have done better so that when they're having children of their own, they can say, oh, okay, at least I can drop, you know, put a little good, some goodies out there. That is exactly why I'm so passionate about what I do, Michael, because the social sciences have broken the code on, on how to parent and lead powerfully in a way that allow people to be happy and motivated and wake up in the morning saying TGIM. Thank God it's Monday, <laughs> not TGIF. And, right. and it's unfortunate that you know most people don't have access to these concepts. And I know that this is my life's mission to give people access to these ideas. And, and that's why I'm so happy we're talking about this. And I wanna tell your listeners the third thing that effective praise does before we move on. Okay. So effective praise does three things. It demonstrates authenticity. It shows that you were really paying attention. And third, it enables winning streaks. Because sometimes people have no idea the specifics of what led to their win. Right there, you know, you know, to use a public speaking example, I'm on stage, I'm present, and I can just totally black out. I don't remember the stories I tell. I don't right. remember the jokes I tell. I don't remember the points I make because I'm fully in flow, which means that I'm not assessing myself in that moment. So when a leader says something like, Anna, great job on the sales call today. You asked a couple of questions that really clarified for me and I think our customer what they want that was powerful. And so what you do for Anna is you shine a light on what she did, which was ask questions and model curiosity. So she's more likely to replicate that behavior next time. And if you want an added benefit, if you praise Anna in public, you're shining a spotlight on the behaviors you want to be the lifeblood of your business. So others in the room are likely gonna start implementing it more intentionally as well. Yeah, that would stink for the whole sales team to hear the formula for success. <laughs> yeah, no, nobody on nobody on a sales team wants to be successful when it comes to sales, right? Right, right. Um, and, and I think, you know, you talk about it in, you know, the cultivation of confidence. This is one of those areas that it really helps to put that together and continue that cultivation. Yeah. Um, this is great. All right. So then there's, is there, is there one more example? Maybe let's do that. One more example of um, how to cultivate more competence. Yeah. Um, I'm glad you asked because one of the best things leaders can do is model a growth mindset themselves. 
And what do I mean by a growth mindset? Somebody that has a growth mindset embraces challenges. They embrace the tough stuff because they know that the toiling is where they cultivate excellence. They persist in the face of setbacks. They see effort as the key to mastery. They don't expect to be good the first time. They know that the first time of anything is hard. Right. <laughs> they learn from criticism. So, you know, the leaders listening, if you just started seeking out feedback, how, how'd that land with you? How do you think I did? How can I make improvements? When you start creating an environment for other people to give you feedback, and you show them that not only uh, can you handle it, right? Because the ego triggers defensiveness in most people when they're being criticized. When you show them that you're open to criticism and learning from it and growing from it, you make it okay for them to start self-evaluating themselves. And they're more likely to receive from you when you first receive from them. Yeah, and that that's really easy to see in the boardroom. It's easy to see in the business how that would play out. I think where that might be difficult is in the family room. Mm. And it, But it's just as important, if not more important there, how do you show your children and model a growth mindset without losing the parent role? Yeah. And, and tell me if this rings for you, but I wrote about this in, in my book. Uh, the, we talk about the parent transition. And so there's a time when a kid needs a parent and you must be the parent. And the answers are pretty much yes or no. Mm -hmm. There's also a time that the parent needs to transition to the coach. And as the coach, you're not always right. You are looking, you're, you know, when the kid's about to cross the street without looking both ways, you're grabbing them and, and parenting. Okay. Right, right. But now we, we, you know, as soon as you can move into that coach mode and give choices and ask those questions and tell them, ooh, you know, I made a mistake once and be transparent with them and, and real with them is huge. And then I, my wife doesn't like this one, but I believe then there's a time in every child's life that they really, they never want to lose their parent. Obviously they always want their parent there, but they really want you to be a colleague. They don't even need you to coach them anymore. And if they want the coaching, they'll ask for it. They just want you to listen to their, you know, what their world is like and, and be there for them. So there's my transition that I think is so important that I messed up and that I'm working really hard to get back to. Well, you know what I love about this, this analogy of the coach is the coach isn't on the field right like your right. your kids have to enter into the arena of their own life they're playing yep. on the field you may be the coach you may be the mentor you want to offer them encouragement but ultimately they're on the field yeah. and what you're talking about when you say coaching is you know basically being autonomy supportive like they're the ones going out onto the field and you can bestow upon them you know your perspective your wisdom your hard-earned lessons but ultimately, you're so right. They have to be the ones out there, you know. And what I, one of the things that I've learned that I get so excited about now that I understand it is there's no successful sports team or our, you know, armed forces or anything without a good coach. Mm. 
You've yeah. never had, there's been, never been a World Series team that went to the World Series without a coach. There's never been a Super Bowl winner or an Olympic team winner without a coach. And the coach is there to help them, you know, see the blind spots and maybe ask the right questions that they didn't think about thinking. It's not always about telling them what to do. Yes. Love this. This okay. is super, super helpful. And I can see this both the business and at work at, at home. So I appreciate that. It's huge. You know, I want, before we move on, I want to give, um, and you're so right about the best sports teams. They've always had good coaches. Um, the all blacks in, in, uh, New Zealand are a great example of that. There was a book written about them, ironically called legacy, all about how they've been able to be the best consistently. And they have always had excellent coaches that are autonomy supportive and that cultivate confidence in their members. And it's powerful, but let's talk about the, the family room for a moment. When it comes to criticism, you know, the best relationships are good at communicating what they do want, not what they don't want. And here's what I mean by that. When I work with, with couples, spouses, families, I introduce them to this concept of the eyes of intimacy. I want, I need, I feel. And, and when you can more powerfully and clearly communicate what it is you do want, skip what you don't want, right? That is, that is not where you want to spend your energy. What do you want? What do you need? What do you feel? That creates an environment for conversation and collaboration because you're talking about yourself, mm -hmm. right? And they're less likely to respond adversely to that criticism. Love it. Thank you. Yeah. All right, we're running out of time here, but let's get into relatedness and talk to me about relatedness because if I'm not mistaken, based on our previous conversations, it's this is what ties it all together. Yes, relatedness really is the, the glue of it all, if you will, because we are social creatures, we are wired to connect and we must feel like we belong. Like that is a fundamental need. To me, that is the foundation of any business, but especially a family-owned business. And relatedness, you can think of as, I feel cared for and valued. When we feel cared for and valued, our need for relatedness is met. And the fundamental topic that I want to talk with your listeners about today, um, in order to cultivate more relatedness, more belonging, if you will, is this idea of psychological safety, which is right. based off of Amy Edmondson's research. And psychological safety in a nutshell is just someone's sense that they can be candid in a group, that they can speak up with concerns, with disagreements, with criticism, without worrying about being punished or humiliated. And, right. and I'm going to jump right in real good in. there. The moment the leader says, well, that's a dumb idea. You just took everything away. There, are, there needs to be space yeah. for those things. Yeah, when a leader does that, when a leader says no, things like that, it just sucks out. You, I mean, I'm sure you've been in the room and seen it happen. I know I have hundreds of times. It sucks the oxygen out of the room. Quite viscerally, you can feel it. Yeah. And it, it shuts people down. It's, it's that it's trust, right? I mean, at the end of the day, is that the word that 
it's all about trust. Yes, it's all about trust. And really, you know, there's there's a there's a trust threshold that happens between two people. So you and I are just getting to know each other. You know, this is our this is our second conversation, our second interaction. And the more positive experiences we share together, the more trust that we build together. And eventually we'll, you know, we'll trust that we'll pass that trust threshold. Everybody has a trust threshold. Some people are more trusting by nature, like myself. Some people are more suspicious by nature, like my husband. But we all have a trust threshold. And in order to reach it, people must feel psychologically safe with you. Okay. They must feel psychologically safe with you. And I want to offer your listeners a way to evaluate the psychological safety of their family business right here and right now, if I may. Please do. So I, I want you to think about how often you see the following things happening in your business. How often do you see people disagree with you and each other? How often do you see people offering criticism to one another, to you? How often do you see others holding each other accountable when they fail to execute on their commitments or perform to the standard, the vision, the mission of your company? How often do you see them admitting their own mistakes and failures? How often do you see them taking risk, experimenting, innovating? How often do you see them cross pollinate and share ideas and share information? <laughs> I, love, How, I love that one because you just everybody's in their own silo and you can't get them out of the silo. Yes, and the silos are really um, cutting back on the potential of a company, like innovating and, and just thriving. The last two is how often do you see people ask for help? You know, Michael, I'm sorry. I know that you signed this meet last week, but I tried to sit down and get it done and I'm up against a wall. I have no idea what I'm doing. Can you help me? Yeah. Love it. Yeah. And it's and la- so that's so those are those are all descriptors of what people, members of safe teams, safe families, yeah. safe family businesses exhibit. And if you're listening and you're thinking, wow, Rachel, uh, actually, I don't see people disagree a lot. I don't see criticism happening. Accountability is not happening. People aren't admitting their mistakes. Um, In fact, people are gossiping about one another. They're talking behind each other's backs. You know, Brene Brown, author of Dare to Lead, one of my all-time heroes, has a powerful phrase in her company. Here, we talk to people not about people. Ooh, great one. Isn't that that is and I've read Dare to Lead and I missed it. I it's so funny. You can, you know, the, that's why it's worth going back sometimes because you know, you know the one word I got out of Dare to Lead, rumble. It's okay to rumble. We love to rumble. Ooh, I love that. You know, Michael, I missed that when I read it. So thank you. <laughs> Rumble and and you know rumble is a perfect word for you to bring up right here and right now because people that have psychological safety are comfortable with the rumble. They're yeah. willing to rumble. They're willing to shake the boat because they know that that's just the process of of business, of relationships. You got to be willing to rumble together. 
Beautiful. And it's still it's still being respectful. We're, that's not what we're what you're talking about. It's it's doing it with respect. You still you trust this person. You even might even say you love this person enough to be able to say I can I, I can handle this, but I'm passionate and the, you know I, I love this this vision, and the vision's real simple. Um, you've never watched any good movie that didn't have conflict in it. Bingo. And so you need conflict around your business and around what you're doing. And that, you know, when you have that conflict, now it's okay to now, you know, all right, now let's move on and let's commit to one another that it doesn't matter that this was Joe's idea or Sal Sally's idea. We're going with Sally's and we're all on board. This is the way we're going. And Joe will never say, I told you so, because yeah. he's in, bought in to the team. You got to rumble to commit, to, to quote Patrick Lencioni, who I know is a thought leader and Visage is a huge fan of his work. You know, he talks about how conflict is something that we must have in order to commit. And in order to dare greatly, if you will, in order to be willing to rumble and to get into conflict with somebody, you must have trust. You must yeah. have trust. And you know, this is so important for your listeners, especially because, your your partners are your family members and you know family is everything the the more the older i get the more i realize that at the end of the day family it's all about family and you know adam grant recently said a company is not a family and further a company shouldn't be a family and he talks about how you can't fire a family member when they don't perform. Right. Well, you know, no disrespect to Adam Grant, but a lot of companies are made up of family members, your listeners included. So it behooves them to understand what is required for them to thrive in the family business and their family members to thrive in the business. And those are the, the three basic needs we talked about today, autonomy, competence and relatedness. If you want to support the autonomy of your family, have clear goals and clear guardrails and let them rock on in between those parameters. If you want to grow their competence, be more powerful with how you give feedback, give effective criticism and effective praise. And last but not least, when it comes to relatedness, you know, remember that people need to feel safe with you. So constantly be monitoring for safety. If people are getting defensive, if they're defaulting to silence or violence, that's an indication to you that they're feeling unsafe and you need to restore that safety first before anything else about the business can resume. Love it. That, I was just gonna ask you, would you do me a favor and just summarize this for us? And you just did it. So Boom. thank you. I Rachel, read your mind. <laughs> Rachel Giannis, um, ACL, what is that again? ALC. ALC. Yeah, you're Sorry, right. ALC. Yeah, it stands for Advanced Leadership Science. And I'm sorry, ALC. Now, now you got me all twisted up. ALC sorry. is Advanced Leadership Concepts. And right. we're really passionate over there about unlocking the tools of leadership science in a way that transforms teams. And if people wanted to reach you, how do they reach you? 
I would love to connect with your listeners on LinkedIn. Please send me a request. I would love to hear the one thing that stood out for you. Message me. I will respond. I'd love to connect with you. Great. Thank you. Thank you for everything that you just shared today. Appreciate it, Rachel. Um, my name is Michael Columbus. You've been listening to the Family Biz Show, uh, our company's Family Wealth and Legacy in Rochester, New York. Thank you all so much. And we cannot wait for you to tune in to the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Family Biz Show. We appreciate your time and trust to deliver the best guests and most cutting edge information to help you maximize your family business. Being part of a family is tough. Add a business to that and it gets even tougher. Tune in next week as we strive to ease your journey with the Family Biz Show. The content presented is for informational and educational purposes. The information covered and posted are views and opinions of the guests and not necessarily those of Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation. Michael Columbus is a registered representative of Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation. Securities and investment advisory services offered through Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation, a broker dealer, member SIPC, and registered investment advisor. Insurance offered through Lincoln Financial Affiliates and other fine companies. Family Wealth and Legacy, LLC, is not an affiliate of Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation. Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation and its representatives do not provide legal or tax advice. You may want to consult a legal or tax advisor regarding any legal or tax information as it relates to your personal circumstances.